First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father God, I just pray this morning. Um, yeah, I want to just pray, take it easy on us this morning. But um, yeah, God, you did not take it easy on your son. I'm the perfect example of a groom. Um, so yeah, God, I just pray that as Joseph comes to preach this morning, um, that you would just speak through him, that he would communicate clearly and effectively, God, that he would preach your word, um, that your Holy Spirit would just empower um, his word uh, this morning, God, that you would be with him, that you would allow us um, to be attentive and listen and learn, um, be convicted as, as you convict. Uh, yeah, God, I just pray that you would be glorified this morning. In your name, amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> I'm thankful to be here with you all this morning. My name is Joseph Williams. I'm one of the pastors here at Central Baptist Church. And uh, just over the last month of October, just want to say thank you for notes and cards and gifts um, from Central to our family. A great encouragement to us as we uh, seek to serve alongside you all and um, yeah, lead out in uh, this life of, of learning to honor Jesus in every part of our lives. So um, I'd like to ask all the husbands that are here today, please stand. If you are a husband, please stand. Okay. Stay standing. If you are a, a man who wants to be a husband someday, please stand. Okay. If you are a young man and you are unsure, a young man or an old man or any man, if you are unsure about your desire for marriage, but you want to gain insight from God's word regarding how you should respect and honor your sisters in Christ, please stand. That should be every man in the room now. Stand up, men. So I want to address our men, first our husbands, but um, our ladies as well. This, this word is for you. You need to know what God expects of our men, our husbands, so that you can pray. So that you can have understanding of what God expects from the men in this room for the greatest union ever created. There's a high calling to represent Christ in his church for the men in this room. This word is for all of us as I preach today. But to the men, I want to focus in on you and us. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would help me, help the men of our church to be humble husbands. Lord, that we would live under the Lordship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would fight the battles within and without with sin and culture and temptation. And Lord, that we would model you in our loving leadership in our home to our wives. And we need your help, Lord. 
in every way. I I pray, Lord, that you would help um, the husbands in this room to humble themselves today, that they would go home uh, to another degree, loving and leading with humility. Lord, for the men that are not yet husbands, Lord, I pray that they would learn quickly what it looks like to submit to you in every area of life. Sacrificing, giving their life up for your sake. That they would also do that as husbands. And Lord, for the men in our church who uh, may or may not get married, Lord, that all of us would treat the women in our church with respect and honor. Treating them as co-heirs of the grace of life that you give to all of us freely by your grace. Help us, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Men, you may be seated. I uh, thought about having you guys stand up the entire sermon just so that I could know I had your attention because this is important for all of us. As we get into 1 Peter 3, 7 today, I want to start with a couple of questions. First, who created marriage? God did. Okay, who created marriage? Who created marriage? God did. We have to hold that as a belief, right? I read yesterday through a, a, a few pages of text from where all these different cultures say they get their idea of marriage in Hinduism, in, in uh, Christianity, in, in Judaism, in uh, tribes that have never even been touched by other people. Marriage is part of us. It's not just a cultural thing. It doesn't just come from uh, without. It, it, it's in us, right? God has planted that into us. He created it. And if God created marriage, we need to know his plan for it. He's the one that gets to tell us what marriage is for. So why did God create marriage? Doesn't he have the sole right to to tell us exactly how it is to be lived out? What it's for and what the parameters are? So men in this room who are married, why did you get married? Men who are thinking about getting married. Why, why are you thinking about getting married? What's your purpose in marriage, in, in getting married? Is it to, f- to fulfill your own desires or God's desires? For all of us, it is not too late to know and live out God's perfect plan for marriage. The life question for today as we look at this text is, how can husbands obey God in their marriages? How can husbands obey God in their marriages? That's the question. I believe that Peter is giving us today the elect exile husband guide to humble husbanding in this verse. Verse 3-7. The elect exile's husband guide to humble husbanding. That's a mouth twister or a tongue twister, isn't it, Nolan? Try to say it once. Try it. You're the Timothy track intern. You have to do it. The elect exiles, humble guide. Husband. Husbands. Husband. Uh-huh. Humble husband. There you go. So Peter knows the context in which these men are living. He knows the difficulty of life that they're going through. He knows the pressures, the hurts of daily life, living among a wicked and sinful world. He knows the effects that have on our men. He knows the pressure. And in this letter, he's been calling believers to endure endure trials with hope 
faith and love. He's been calling for the believers to live like their father who called them to be holy, to be zealous for good works for his glory, even in the face of adversity. And over the last few weeks, Peter's moved from the just the theological impact of our lives to the more practical, hasn't he? We felt that, right? Submit to the government. Submit to God. Submit to your master's slaves. Wives, submit to your husbands. And now husbands, submit to God in your leadership of your wives. It's very practical. The theology that Peter is instilling in the first couple of chapters of this book is now working itself out into your and I's every single day situations that we live in. The, the things that we face on a daily basis are addressed right here by Peter. Today we're going to see God's plan for humble husbands. And I think Peter's main point is that husbands obey the Lord by submitting to his way for marriage. Husbands can obey the Lord by submitting to his way for marriage, not their own ideas, not the culture's ideas. So what's Peter seeking to kill here in the men of the first century who are now united with Christ and have the power by the Holy Spirit to put their flesh to death? What is he trying to kill in them? Peter is seeking to kill the natural inclination of men of pride. Pride in their leadership. That can often lead to things like a lack of leadership. Pride can lead to harshness, being domineering. And all of this happens without any fear of God. Because fear of God leads to reverence for God, which leads to obedience to God, which leads to what? Love for one another. We learn that in 1 Peter chapter 1. Rich preached that to us. 1 Peter 1, 22, it says, Since you've been purified by your obedience to the truth, you've been purified for what? A sincere brotherly love. So what? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Reverence for God leads to obedience to God, which leads to love in us for others. And so what Peter's doing here, he's saying is, By your obedience to God, you are purifying your souls that you might love one another. Love for God, love for others. So as we get into the text here, we're going to see three ways that humble husbands submit to God in their marriages. It's going to be a a long 45 minutes here. I put a lot of these humble husband things in in the sermon, so... Number one, we see that humble husbands obey God's way for marriage. Now, if you have a bulletin, there's an outline in the bulletin. And if you're prone to getting lost, you might need one of those roadmaps to follow me. Because I also can be prone to getting lost. So if you need a bulletin, uh, Joe P. in the back there can get you one. Or Savannah. So number one is humble husbands obey God's way for marriage. Number two, humble husbands know their wives. And number three, humble husbands honor their wives. So first, at the beginning of 1 Peter 3, 7, look at it with me. It says, likewise, husbands, comma. And this is our first point. Likewise, husbands, husbands obey God's way for marriage. As we come to the beginning of this verse, we see that Paul addresses Husbands, the same way as wives 
And so what is he pointing out here? I believe that he's pointing all the way back to chapter 2, verse 13. In 2.18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. In 3.1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And in 3.7, he says, Likewise, husbands, fill in the blank. So if slaves are to be subject to their masters, wives are to be subject to their husbands, who are husbands to be subject to? To God, that's right. So let's look back at 2.13. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors and so on. This is the initial verb that Peter uses here at verse, or starting in 2.13 that is going to flow out through the rest of chapter 2 and 3. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, when we get to 3.7, it's really interesting in Greek. There's a subject and no verb. Like if you read it in the Greek, there's a subject. Likewise, husbands blank. And then it says by living with knowledge and by honoring. But there's no verb. And so in Greek, what, what they do to, to emphasize their point is that they'll, they'll want the reader or the listener to carry the verb down from further up in the context. And so here, I think that what Peter wants us to do is, is bring that command down from 2.13 and say, how do husbands live this out? First, they do it by submitting to God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And so what is the human institution that Peter is telling husbands to subject themselves to here? The human institution of? Everybody? Marriage. Marriage. Husbands, submit yourself For the Lord's sake to marriage. I I, I believe that's what Peter is doing here. Husbands are not without an authority. Amen. Husbands are not the final authority. They have God as their authority telling them what to do and how to live. Husbands are to do marriage God's way. Samuel taught us a few weeks ago that the key for this section 213 all the way through five 10, 511 is humility. You remember him talking about the secret weapon for believers? It's humility. That's what we get to live out. And that is what is still working itself out here in God's people, the people that Peter is writing to. The principle is working itself out in this passage is that God is going to honor the righteous. God is going to honor the humble. He listens to them. He sees them. He helps them. Just like we saw with the wives, right? When they have their attention and their focus on God as they submit to their husbands, that is a beautiful and precious thing in the sight of God. Women who hoped in God submitted to their husbands. And now men who submit to God in their marriage, he sees them, he knows them, he understands what's going on, he helps them. And he's going to come all the way back around to this in chapter 5. If you just flip over there real quick. Chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. 5, starting in the middle there, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. 
Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So the principle that's working itself out is God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this is where I'm bringing in humble husbands submit to God's way for marriage. Humble husbands know their wives. Humble husbands honor their wives because they put themselves under the mighty hand of God in this human institution of marriage. This idea of humility is all over the Bible, right? And it's personified and seen best in the person of Christ Jesus in Philippians 2. What a humble mindset does, it, it honors and it, it loves and it sacrifices for others. And it's submissive. A few months ago, we were in Isaiah 66 and it says, Who can dwell with the Lord? Only the person of a contrite heart and a humble spirit. In Zephaniah 2, chapter 2 and chapter 3, um, Zephaniah there says, Who can dwell with the Lord? Only those who humble themselves before him. God is going out and he's looking all over and only the humble will be left. The proud will be cast out forever. Psalm 34, which we were in just a couple months ago as well. The humble hear and rejoice. Those who call out to the Lord are the ones that are helped by him. But the proud are pushed away. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So, humble husbands submit to God in marriage. Therefore, humble husbands must know what to submit to. What is God's plan for marriage? Humble husbands must know God's plan. Your marriage is not about you, and it's not about your wife either. Your marriage is about God, about putting Christ and his church on display so that when people look at you, they ask the question, why, what? And you point them to Christ, the most sacrificial savior who is loving and and laying his life down for his bride. So we need to know God's plan for marriage. We need to know our role in marriage. We are to live like Christ in our marriages, men. We love our wives as Christ loved the church. We sacrifice, her, sacrifice for her. We, we love her as we love our own bodies. We wash her with the water of the word. We nurture her. We cherish her. We lead like Christ. We know our role. We know God's plan. What if you don't know God's plan? You don't know the role of a man in marriage. You need to read your Bible. Brother, husbands, if you are a husband today and you're not really sure what the point of your marriage is or your place in marriage, you need to put your face in the word of God and study. You need to be convictional about the purpose of marriage and your role in it. And then from the Bible, go to good marriage books, men that are trusted that will point you to truth about why God created marriage for his his good, your good and for his glory. A few of them. Marriage and the mystery of the gospel. The exemplary husband. This momentary marriage. The meaning of marriage. Man, I would suggest to you that you have a marriage book on rotation at all times in your life, knowing about God's plan and purpose in marriage, something objective to evaluate you. Are you living by God's standard or the world's standard? Next, 
Learn from godly, wise husbands. Ask good questions. Let them into your life. Let them evaluate you. You need to know God's plan, know your role, and finally, you need to know what's at stake here. Look at the end of 1 Peter 3, 7. What does it say there? The last phrase. So that your prayers may not be hindered. What's at stake for us as men leading our wives in these marriages? God's ear, God's glory, and your wife's life. It says so that your, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's at stake? As we submit to God's plan for marriage or we reject God's plan for marriage and we do not submit, his, his connection, our relationship with him is on the line. Do you see that? Our relationship with God. And then look back real quick at chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's at stake here in your marriage is your living with conduct that is honorable toward your wife. The most intimate, time-consuming relationship of your entire existence. And yet this is where it can be the most difficult to live this out. Peter, what's he doing? He's going from the, the biggest general sense and then he's getting more specific and more specific in each one of our lives. Honorable conduct in our marriages as men. We must know what's at stake here. So why do husbands submit to God's plan for marriage? Because they fear and they honor God. And then they understand that our relationship in our marriage is a good barometer of our relationship with God. Knowing that we are held accountable in heaven. Even inside our homes and text messages and phone calls and our lack of leadership, there is accountability. Even if no human eye is on you, God is watching every bit of our marriage, every bit of our leadership. And the way that we interact with our wives is a good barometer to tell how is our relationship with God going. Because when we honor God, we will honor our wives. Once we know that we have a creator to answer to who alone decides how marriage should be done, we would do well to sit up and listen to what Peter tells these husbands to do. I believe what Peter does now is to show the two ways husbands can submit to God in their marriages. So first he says, husbands in your marriage, submit to God for his glory. And how do you do that? You do it in two ways. So the first one was submit to God's plan for marriage. Humble husbands, submit to God's plan, obey God's plan for marriage. And so God's plan for marriage is that humble husbands would know their wives. Number two, do you see that here in the text? Husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge. This, this term is translated out a few different ways and maybe even in this room by the translations that you're bringing with you today. Um, there's not complete agreement with how to bring this Greek phrase out into English and make it make sense for us. 
There's a, 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 an invented word by Peter here for live with your wives. And it says, according to knowledge. Live together with your wives, which is all one word. It has the word uh, um, oikos, which many of us know that, right? To the dwelling place. And then the word soon, which is just a word that is like a, a unifier together. So dwell together with your wives according to knowledge. The word for knowledge there is gnosis, which we get our word knowledge from. So what is Peter doing here when he says, husbands, honor God in your marriages first by dwelling together with your wives according to this knowledge? What is this knowledge? I want to do my best to walk us through this and give us some practical pointers of how this could look. Humble husbands dwell together with their wives, knowing them. They know their wives. Humble husbands are told to live together with their wives, which means that they are to know them, to dwell with them, to allow the marriage relationship to grow. I had a missionary in India tell me in 2012, we're we're walking out um, into this village after this funeral, and we're overlooking Bhutan. And he said, Joseph, the more that we know people, the more that we will love them. And the more that we love people, the more that we know them. But this is really difficult to do because the more that we know about people, the more difficult they are to love. And the more that we love people, it'll lead us into this knowing of them. And that has rung true in my own marriage with Abby. The more that we know about our spouse, the more that we're going to love them. If we're doing it from gospel-centered love and gospel-centered leadership. I believe Peter is addressing with this phrase here. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge, a problem in, in fallen men. A sinful tendency to live apart from their wives. To not know them, to not listen to them, to not ask them questions. Men end up cohabitating with their wives. Living under the same roof, carrying out jobs and acting as partners who are getting work done. Glorified roommates. But there isn't a closeness. There isn't a knowing and a dwelling together there. There isn't an intimate knowledge of one another. It's interesting that Peter gives this command to the husbands and not to the wives, right? Husbands, know your wives. He didn't tell the wives, know their husbands. That's an eight in women, right? Right? Women, know us. Know about us. Talk to us. Listen to us. Ask us questions. But he doesn't tell the women. He tells the men to lead out in the knowing of their spouse to make the way. And men, as you lead in knowing your wife, your wife will follow you. Men are to lead out in this living together. But what about our culture? How do they view husbands? Live together with your wives according to knowledge, men. Do you see that in commercials on TV or on billboards? What is the the, the depiction of men in the 21st century? What do you guys think? Wimps? Work hard. Okay. Noncommittal. What does our culture really want men to know about? Sports. Sports. Men, know your sports. 
Bet on your sports. We'll even give you money to bet on your sports if you can bet on your sports, if you know enough about your sports to bet on them. What else do the, does our culture want men to know about? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or, or what else does our culture tell men to know? See a lot of politics, entertainment, things that are more outward of the home instead of inward of the home. Yeah. Men, you need to be knowledgeable about everything going on outside of your home, right? Know about insurance and the new cars that are coming out and what's happening in Russia and what's going on here. But how often do we see the, the culture telling us, go home and ask your wife 10 questions tonight to get to know her? Never, Never right? It's not on billboards. It's not in movies. What do people do in movies when they're on dates? Do they get to know each other? When we're out sitting at a restaurant, do we see people getting to know each other? Is it glorified and honored? And yet this is exactly what Peter is telling husbands to do. Live together with your wives and know them. Live with them in a knowledgeable way, a knowing way. Men are to lead out in this. Our culture often views men as boring, empty-headed men who only care about sports, hunting, and drinking, and maybe disc golf. Too many of us know much more about things that will pass away Temporary, worthless facts and ideas while our eternal wives sit by unknown and uncared for. Us men are to dwell together with our wives. Like I said, it's all wrapped up in this one word. Live with your wife, with knowledge of her. I believe Peter has intimacy in the marriage relationship in mind. The word dwell together with your wife in other places throughout um, first century text has a, has a, a physical inti- intimacy in mind. That in the, the marriage relationship, there is a special God-given sexual intimacy that happens dwelling together with. And that's what this word is often used for. Live together in intimacy according to knowledge. Now, this changes a lot of things, right? When we think about sexual intimacy and the gift that God has given to marriage. This dwelling together is not roommate language. It's dwelling with her according to knowledge. Sexual intimacy apart from knowing one another is inauthentic and painful. Peter is addressing that with these men. How to get to intimacy, how to keep it going. It happens through knowledge and love and knowledge and love. This is what Peter is hitting on with these men. And that wasn't a thing in their culture. You signed a contract with your wife and you, she moved in and she took care of your home and you had babies, but you did your own lives separately. And you praise your, your wife for being good at cooking, cleaning, childbearing and keeping the slaves in order in your home. But there wasn't this special living together as a gift from God and that happening with knowledge. And so Peter is pushing both of these things at the same time. We need to live together in this intimacy that's God-given, but we must do it according to knowledge. 
and knowing each other is at the heart level, a spiritual level that leads to deeper intimacy, including physical intimacy in our marriages. If there is a problem in your physical intimacy in your marriage, it probably starts with your wife being unknown. If you're not married yet, write that down and we'll talk about it later. If there's a problem in your physical intimacy, there's probably a problem in your knowing of your wife. So Peter urges them, submit to God for his way for marriage, not the culture's, and dwell together with your wife in the gift of intimacy with knowledge. Live with her with knowledge. So know your wife. Husbands, how well do you think you know your wife? This isn't one of the top 10 skills for men to learn in high school, is it? Knowing class. All right, young men, this is how we're going to teach you to ask questions to young ladies. We don't spend a lot of time on that. Instead, young men usually have to try to figure out on their own how to ask questions. And they're really good for it, uh, really good at it for about six and a half months until they get engaged, right? And then all of a sudden, this young man isn't so good at knowing any longer. His knowing knowledge has run out. We as a church need to train our men, married and unmarried, how to know other people in male relationships and female relationships. There is much to learn here for how can we know other people. And in that, that is a service to people. We are trained to be selfish with our knowledge. So how well do you know your wife? Do you know more about her than you know about other things? Like the horsepower in your truck. Do you, do you know how to diagnose the difficulties going on in your life, in your marriage, like you know how to diagnose the difficulties going on in your business or your schoolwork or your vehicle? And I think we heard this at the marriage conference. Men, do you know how to diagnose the problems on the Kansas City Chiefs defense better than you know how to diagnose the problems that are going on in your own home? Do you know how to diagnose the problems of politics of the day? Oh, if this person led this office, or if this person were elected here, or if this policy were brought in, oh, I, know, I could fix that. And yet when you walk in your home, you have no idea what to do. That's a problem. We are to be knowledgeable husbands. So how are you seeking to know your wife? Is this a part of your, uh, your plan as a husband to walk daily knowing your wife? Daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? How, what's your plan? How are you going to do this? I mean, it takes work. It takes intentionality to know your wife and to learn your wife. To be a student. What are her dreams? Her, de- her desires? Her gifts? What's hard for her? What's easy for her? What is she good at? What does she feel like she's lacking in? Where does she need assistance in her life? What does she want you to teach her or do for her? What does she feel a burden for? This all takes communication and it takes humility. It takes sacrifice. In our house, most of the time that communication has the opportunity to happen is late at night. Because that's when our children finally go to sleep and there's quietness in our house. 
And then after we've cleaned up everything, then the opportunity for communication happens. And that's about 11 o'clock at night. So then the question is, are we going to stay up late and talk and ask questions and get to know each other? Or are we going to go to bed because we have to get up at 530 in the morning tomorrow and do the whole thing over again? What are we going to do? Anybody, any other men feel that? A full day and then it's nighttime. You're like, all right, go to sleep or know my wife. Go to sleep or know my wife. Too many times we often make no other opportunity in our schedule to know our wife. And so then we choose again that night. I have to get up tomorrow and I have to do all of these things. That'll get into the next section, valuing. What do we value as husbands? Put your money where your mouth is, right, husbands? What you care about will shine forth in how we spend our time and our attention, our words, our money. So communicate with your wife. Listen to her, ask her questions, go on a date. And before you go on the date, Write down four questions that you can ask her. Okay, write down four questions. Not on your phone because you shouldn't have your phone out when you're on a date, men. Listen up. Don't get your phones out when you're on a date. And you guys that aren't married yet, don't have your phones out when you go on a date. Do you understand? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Not even for directions. Men are to have all directions in their mind when they go on a date. I'm just kidding. Humble husbands, right? Humble husbands. All right, real quick story. Abby and I weren't married yet. This is about me being humiliated as a boyfriend. Abby and I, Abby had just graduated from college and her big brother and sister came down to visit for her uh, graduation day. And they said, Abby, we'll take you out wherever you want to go. And they, then they said, actually, we're going to take you to Fogo de Chao. And Abby and I were like, yes, because we had like wanted to go to Fogo de Chao, but... 21-year-old Joseph in college. I had like $212 in my bank account, and I wasn't about to spend all of that money on Fogo de Chao. But Abby's brother, Steamer, he wanted to spend that money on Fogo de Chao. So I got to drive, all of us, to Fogo de Chao. And you know what? I didn't want to use directions to get there because I had to prove myself to Abby's brother. So I got lost, went the wrong way, and then finally, when we get to Fogo de Chao, there's one parking spot left, parallel parking. Now, I'm driving our family's 1997 Jaguar, which is about 48 feet long with a horrible turning radius. And I'm trying to back into this spot, and it takes me 14 tries. And there are people standing around watching this happen. So much that I roll all the windows down in the car and I just start honking and say, look at me, I can't parallel park, watch out. I just decided to take in as much as I could in that moment. And uh, I don't know what I did in Abby's older brother. I don't know how he's thought of me since then, but he at least, I have become a better parallel parker since then. Have I, huh? I have. We humble ourselves. And then we ask this question to our wives. Do you feel known by me? 
husband, ask your wife, do you feel known by me? This is a really difficult question to ask men because we don't know exactly what they're going to say. But wouldn't that open up such an amazing avenue to say, where do you not feel known? I want to know you. I want to understand you. And then men, keep track of what you learn about your wife. Find a way to keep track of what you know about her and cherish that information and bring it out to woo her and to love her, to live with her. Husbands, make a plan to live according to knowledge with your wife. Knowing her is the way God has chosen for you to honor him in your marriage. The way that you get to submit to God in your marriage is by living with your wife according to knowledge, to knowing her. That's how you get to honor God. Live with Christ as your example of knowing. He knew you completely and he died for you. He pursued you. He ran after you. He laid everything down to come to die for you. Husbands, lay your life down to know your wife. Husbands, maybe you've fallen prey to this sin. You've lived together as a roommate without living together in knowledge. You've traded out intimacy for just the everyday things that our culture tells us to do. Brothers, let's spend our time getting to know our wives. But knowledge itself isn't enough. Just knowing but not doing anything about it is almost worthless. So Peter goes on to say that we act according to this knowledge. So number one, husbands, you submit to God in your marriage. And number two, husbands, know your wives. And then number three, husbands, honor your wives. Read with me here. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So number three here, humble husbands honor their wives. Humble husbands esteem their wives. Humble husbands value their wives. Humble husbands seek to honor them. And where do we get this picture? We see this perfectly in Christ. And I believe that we could insert the word love here and interchangeably for the word honor. As we see all over the New Testament, Christ loved us. Husbands, love your wives. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. And here in 1 Peter 3, husbands, honor your wives. We're to do so in the same way that Jesus loved the church by laying his life down for her. We saw in the passage just above, look up at 2.22, that Christ left us an example, 2.21 through the end here. This is Christ's example. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was a seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Christ has loved us and honored us with sacrifice in his own life. And we follow his example. And husbands, this might not just work out if you do all the right things and if if you ask all the right questions and you do everything right and you sweep the floor and you do every little thing, you clean the bathtub and you fold the laundry and you do everything in your life, it still might just be difficult. We talked about that last week with the wives, right? Because there's indwelling sin in all of us. And so your, your acknowledgement, your praise doesn't come from your wife. It comes from God, from the one who is your overseer, the one who is your shepherd, the one who is watching you. And so you don't live just to please your wife. You live to please God first and foremost. And then we honor our wives. Men are to honor their wives as the weaker vessel which I believe is another way of saying that we are to honor wives in their subordinate position in marriage. We'll talk about this in a moment, but there's a a lot packed into that, those words, weaker vessel, that I'm going to do my best to try to help bring that out. Why do we show honor to wives as the weaker vessel? How do we do that? What does that mean? What could that have meant in their culture? But to be honest, it's, It's not overly clear what what he's trying to get to there. But we do know about honor in the culture of the first century. Wives were often like property. Even if there was a loving relationship with the wives, it still was uh, very contractual. They had their specific duties and had many expectations laid on them. There wasn't much in the way of honoring your wife. Men were the ones who were to receive honor in their culture. Women were vulnerable, often without many of the rights of men. The context these men lived in pointed both to duty and role as the man that gave them complete authority over his household. There were little inhibitors from the men men given by the state with the opportunity to divorce for any reason, to kill their children, and to have as much power given to the head of household as they could grasp. For Christians, this was to look much different. Men were to lead and to lead well with honor. When men lead, they know that they're leading God's children. When men lead in their wives, they know that they're leading God's children. So they lead with honor. When we have positions of authority and leadership, we are tempted to abuse that power and abuse that position and use it for our own gain. There's a problem there, isn't it? And we see it all over our culture. We see the problem in, in, uh, for wives in their marriages, for husbands in their marriages, that this indwelling sin in us causes in this relationship to rise up in us these sinful tendencies. And men are often tempted to abuse their position and use it for their own gain, for our own gain. We are tempted to use the weapons of the world to gain control rather than wield the greatest tool of God, humility. We get to wield the tool of humility. So as we talk about weaker vessel, I think what Peter's hitting on first and foremost is that the the woman is under the authority of the man. She is, as we learned in one through six, three, one through six, that husbands are to submit themselves to their husbands. 
And we learn that in Ephesians 5. Submit yourself to your husband in all things, just as Christ, or as to the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives. Some other things that could bring insight into us is that Peter could be hitting on the vulnerable state of women in the first century. No protection from the law, often no protection from their husband. Last night, Jordan and I were reading from a source book of the first century. If, you're, if you ever want to nerd out about first century, come to my house and I have this thick book called As the Romans Did. And it's source materials. That means it's um, original manuscripts that were translated into English. And uh, it tells you exactly what was going on. Tombstones, letters from Pliny the Younger, um, in, uh, inscriptions from the walls of places where people drove horse chariots around. But, but one that we were reading last night talked about how this woman took some wine from her husband. And so he took a club and beat her to death. And, and it was uh, it was it said that and no one took him to court because all respectable men in the community thought it wise that he vanquished the rebellion before it got out of hand. And that was a common thing to happen. No one took him to court. Nobody mentioned it. In fact, they respected the respected men. They supported him in his decision. That's the first century that Peter writes into. Now, it wasn't all bad. Not every relationship was like that in every way. But the laws that were in place gave such authority to fleshly men. So Peter could be hitting on the vulnerable state of women living alongside, alongside husbands that often use their physical biggerness to control their wives or their voice to control their wives. The sin problem of their culture that men were often harsh, domineering, and prideful. It's not that far away from us. Maybe it works itself out differently, but men, we are not escaped from the sin of the flesh in our marriages to go against God's plan it should be our goal and our, our job to honor our wives. They're vulnerable under our leadership. They have to follow us. They get to follow us. And so we should honor them in that place. She's affected by every single decision that you make as a husband. So we should make it a joy for her to submit to God. Husbands, make it a joy for your wife to submit to you as she submits to the Lord. Honor her. So why does Peter tell these men to honor their wives? Look down at the middle of the verse. It says, or two-thirds of the way through the verse, it says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Or because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So Paul, or Peter, Peter says, honor your wife as the weaker vessel, because they are heirs with you of eternal life or of the grace of life. So what is, what is he saying here? I think that this could be taken two ways here. Your wife, your wife is a co-heir with you of the grace of life itself. Everybody take a breath. If you're in this room, you've been given the grace of life. The charis of life, the gift of life. You are living and breathing. And who gave you that breath? God did. God has given each of us the gift of life. And so every single person 
has purpose and equal value before God because he's given them all the same gift of life. But I think there's even a, a further dimension in the, in the church for those who have been redeemed and sanctified and, and are, will be glorified is that your wife is not just a co-heir with you of the gift of life, but she's an heir with you, a co-heir with you of the gift of eternal life. And so you show honor to your wife as a co-heir of eternal life. This grace that God has given to both people. Because men and women are saved in the same way, aren't they? There's not one gospel for men and one gospel for women, right? Men, now you do these things and you'll be saved. And women, you do these things and you'll be saved. And men, you're kind of bad, so you get this grace. And women, you're kind of bad, so you get this grace. We are told that all men have sinned. All women have sinned. Everyone is under condemnation. And all have been damned in the same way by their sin before a rightful and just and glorious God. And all people will be saved in the same way through faith in Jesus. And so why do you honor your wife? Because she's a co-heir with you. So you show honor to your wife based on her eternal standing, not based on anything else. This is huge for us. Remember that your wife's value is fixed by God, not by you and not by the culture. Show honor to them because they are heirs of the gift of life. Heirs alongside you, with you, co-heirs. Your wife's value is not fixed by God or is not fixed by you, but by God. Your honoring doesn't come from how good or bad she is at her role as a wife. You do not honor your wife because she's good at something or you don't dishonor your wife because she's bad at something. You honor your wife because she is a child of God and he has given her the same gift that he's given you. Your honoring doesn't come from culture or what the culture says a woman should be or shouldn't be. It comes from God. Your honoring doesn't come from how you feel. Your honor comes from God. And honoring can go in a couple directions here. So the question now is, how can husbands honor their wives? You ready? Men? So first, we honor our wives out of the knowledge that we have about God's plan for marriage. That it's a representation of Christ in the church. We honor our wives from that knowledge of, from God. And then we honor our wives from our knowledge of them. Women are not all the same. Did you guys know that? <laughs> Women are not all the same. Women are not all the same. Each one is different, created by God. Men are not all the same, but they, we tend to think that men are probably more alike each other than women are, right? Maybe. All right, the Bible doesn't say that. I was just trying to see what you guys are doing out there. But you get to know God's plan for all marriages and then you get to know your specific wife and then you get to honor her specifically. So let's start with your leadership. You honor your wife by the way you lead your household like Jesus leads. You start by honoring your wife in your leadership. I said at the beginning that in our leadership we're, um, maybe I didn't say this yet, just wait on that. 
we honor God in our leadership. In 2017, Abby and I were having one of those beautiful conversations that husbands and wives have about all the huge things in life and where are we going and all those kind of things. It was actually November 2017. So we're coming up right on that. I think it was the 17th. About to have our fifth, fifth anniversary of that conversation. Where Abby asked me the question, where are we going? What are we doing with our life? What do you want me to do with my life? And I was like, uh, I'm working for Fusion. We're youth pastors at a church. Life is cool, right? Like we're doing a lot of stuff. And she said, where are we going? You are doing Fusion. You are doing this. Where are we going? And then she didn't literally kick me in the butt, but that's what happened. Right? The Lord kicked me in the butt. That was my Samuel Nelson impersonation, putting the emphasis on that syllable. It broke me. I had not yet learned to lead as a husband. I was doing a lot of great things. I was doing a lot of great things out there, but I was not leading my wife in a direction that she could follow or even know what her place was in the relationship. Where are we going? What are we doing? What is our purpose? And I've been so focused on what I was doing and where I was going that I had not brought her along. She had no vision. And without vision, people perish. Without vision, people perish. And husbands, this is happening in our lives today. We are lacking any kind of vision for our wives. And so they are trying to figure out what to do with themselves. What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? And so then they begin to to find all these ways to to live this out. But they need direction. They, They need us in the image of Christ to lead out in this marriage relationship. And they don't need it because they're helpless. They need it because that's God's plan. In case you misheard me here. They need it because that's God's plan for marriage. Not because women aren't capable of figuring things out on their own. They are. But for us to figure out God's plan, to live according with it, we honor our wives by leading well. I came across this quote this week. True complementarianism is just as much about the wife submitting as it is about the husband leading like Christ. When we often talk about complementarianism, we talk about wives submit, wives submit, wives submit. But how often do we raise up on this side? Husbands lead, husbands lead, husbands lead like Christ, sacrificing for her, loving her. So husbands can fall into a couple of ditches in their leadership. Passive leadership with unclear direction and little help to get anywhere. Or aggressive domineering leadership that overlooks any kind of relationships, making demands to meet goals. These are usually the two ditches that men can find themselves in in their marriage. They're just kind of floating along with no vision, no direction. Or they have a place they want to go and they make everyone line up with their their exact list of duties and deals and everything that has to be done. And they do it with harshness and aggression. Both of these ruin our families. Both of these are selfish, self-centered, and full of sinful pride. This is the natural man, the flesh. This is the way that's fighting in all of us all the time. We must fight for 
Christ-centered leadership in our marriages. Man, have you felt this? Have you felt, oh, I can't do it, so I'm just going to give up. I don't know what to do, and so I don't, we just won't do anything. Or have you tried to make a plan, and you just run as hard as you can, and then all of a sudden you look back, and you've left things in the wake. Anybody else felt that before? Trying to lead? So that's why this relationship is full of grace and love, right? We're learning. We're on a pathway. And that's why humble husbands honor their wives. Humble husbands repent when they mess up and they repent of bad leadership on either side. They say, I'm sorry, and they, they, they make things right. So you, husband, how are you honoring your wife and your leadership? Does she know and understand the plan for your family? Have you laid out the purpose and plan for your life and the direction you are heading to please the Lord at all costs? Does she understand it? Does she get it? Does she see how she fits into that? Have you painted a picture of gospel marriage that she longs to live out alongside you until you come into glory together? Do you lead by giving clear, understandable, and attainable goals and areas of responsibility in your home? Meaningful delegation is a really important area of honoring your wife and your leadership. Does she know what's expected of you, men? Of her? Do you honor her in your decisions? Remember I said, there is no decision, husband, that you make that does not affect your wife. No decision that you make that does not affect your wife. So do you honor her in your decisions? Do you consider her in your decisions? Do you honor her with your time? If you were to pie chart out your time on a weekly basis, where does she fall into that? Is she a priority? Or is she secondary or third dairy? Do you honor her with your spending of your money and your time and your talents? Another way for you to honor your wife is in the way that you treat her. Again, the example that we have from Jesus is that he what? He knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. He took the, the position of servant leadership and he washed them. He treated them with respect and with care and with love. What about you, husband? Are you tender with your wife? Do you bring everything in from the world into your home and release it on your wife? How do you speak to her? Do you communicate with love, respect, and value? Brother, husbands, we honor our wives in our communication. We already talked about knowledge. That's asking questions. And then on the receiving side, how do we communicate back? Communication is one of your wife's greatest needs. And I believe it's God-given that your wife is to be known and loved and cared for. Not just with you asking questions and knowing her, but it's a desire of hers and a great desire of hers to know you. What's rattling around in your head? What are you feeling, thinking? What are you encouraged by, discouraged by? Do you let your wife into those conversations? Honor your wife by letting her into your questions. Ask her for advice on things. Ask her to give you reviews on your own life. Abby and I have often revisited our wedding vows We'll ask each other to give us feedback. How am I doing submitting to the things that I promised to you? 
Honey, give me honest feedback. I want to know how to love you and serve you. To the women, wives, if you are in the midst of difficulty in communication in your marriage or any area, please be humble. Stay open to new tries toward communication from your husband. Sometimes it happens that when the husband tries again, the wife can respond in harshness. So we need to stay alert, stay prayerful that we both come to those opportunities with great care, great humility. So please stay soft in your receiving of this. Maybe your husband tries to lead again and you say, not again, I'm done trying. Wives, resubmit yourselves to God. Hope in him, fear him. Husbands, keep leading, keep humbling yourself. Honor your wife in communication by answering her questions. Honor her in communication at the times when you talk. Just recently, I chose to have a very important conversation with Abby when I had about seven minutes to do that. And I shouldn't have done that. I was about, it was like a in between two things. I just finished one thing. It was 535. I had to leave at like 547. And I said, honey, I got to tell you one thing. And I just spilt it all. And she was like, what? And I was like, okay, I got to go. That was really unwise for me to do. I did not honor her in my communication with her. I had not made the time available to have that conversation. And I ended up dishonoring her and leaving her with the, uh, with the, uh, with the tension of trying to figure that out on her own while I was off doing something else again. We honor her at the time when we choose to talk and have communication. We honor our wives how we talk and our voice and our inflection, our body language. We honor her. We sacrifice for her. We honor her by asking her questions. Bringing her into our situations. She probably knows you better than anyone else. Why would you not ask her her advice or her diagnostic questions of you? Ask her for her viewpoint. Honor her in the way that you talk about her to other people. Let every word of your mouth about your wife to other people be honoring and respectful. Honor your wife. Leading with honor in physical needs. In your intimate relationship, be honorable in the way that you treat your wife in physical intimacy. Again, know her and then communicate. Have questions and let this be a part of the loving relationship that God has given you. Honor her in the physical needs for her own person. The things that, that, that she might need to, um, to live on a daily basis. Do you know what her needs are and are you providing those for her to to live rightly in your home? Honor her in her physical needs. The things that she needs to accomplish the, the tasks of everyday life. Does her car run well? Are her clothes good? Are the, 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 the home that you have together, are you honoring her in the home that you live in? Are there leaks in the ceiling? Does your heat work? Are you making decisions that honor your wife for her needs? I know this is like really practical, but I think that's what Peter's getting at. Let honor work itself out into every single nook and cranny of your marriage relationship. Nothing is to be disregarded. 
Do you honor your wife in protection and provision? First and foremost, honoring your wife in this way is about leading toward trusting God. But then we honor her to make sure that her needs are met first and foremost, not your own. Honor your wife as the one who is more vulnerable in the relationship. You are the guardian. And then honor her in her spiritual relationship, men. We know that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities of the dark world. So honor your wife in the the, the battle of the spiritual as well. You lead your wife and you honor her, making time for her to, to feast on the word. You push her toward it and you protect her and you provide for her spiritually. If you wouldn't let your wife go without physical food, why would you let your wife go without spiritual food? Honor your wife. Men have a tendency to run hard and sometimes too hard. Placing all their value on how much they can accomplish and tell stories of how difficult the journey was. Do not leave your wife and your kids in the dust of perceived manliness. Honor her spiritually. Feed her. She is a co-heir of grace with you. We honor her because of the fixed value from God. So husbands, how does your husbanding reflect Christ? If you were to take an evaluation of your own marriage right now, how closely does your leadership in your marriage reflect the leadership of Christ? Maybe you need to take some time today or in the next few days to ask your wife this question. Does my leadership in our marriage resemble Christ? And then sit back and listen. Does my leadership in our marriage resemble Christ's leadership of the church? Do I know you? Do I treat you with honor? It all boils down to love, doesn't it? Everything boils down to love. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Husbands, your understanding of and experience of the gospel at work in your life has direct effect on your marriage. And to the extent that you understand that you have been loved deeply and supremely by Christ, will you then love and sacrifice for your wife? To the extent that you understand the gospel, you will sacrifice for your life. If you think yourself not too bad a person and saved by a pretty good Christ, your marriage will reflect that. But if you see yourself as the foremost of sinners, saved by the ultimate holy Christ that came down to save you when you did not deserve it in any way, shape, or form, and He rescued you from the dominion of darkness, then your love for your wife will resemble that. Now, I want to come back one more time to the end of the verse. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Remember, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's ears are closed off to the unrighteous. Says that in Psalm 34 and Carson is going to hit hard on that next week. The Lord's eyes and his ears are closed off to the unrighteous. 
And that's what Peter's getting at here. If you choose to live an unrighteous way with your wife, God will have nothing to do with you. If you choose to disregard God's way for marriage, he will cut you off. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Brother, husbands, if you do not submit to God's way for marriage, if you choose to live ignorantly, if you choose to dishonor your wife, you will be rejected by God. He will not listen to you because you will be living as the opposition. You will cut off your only lifeline for your marriage. You need help. And we as husbands should be praying often, Lord, help me. The humble make their boat or their cry to God alone. And husbands, it is not too late to lead well. It's not too late. Husbands, this is an opportunity to look around at your life. This is one of the most direct ways to see the life of the spirit of the living God working itself out in you and through you. Many men have done wonderful things in ministry and dishonored their wives. Many men have had amazing careers, lost their wives. Many men have gained all the honor and all the respect of the world and lost every last bit of respect and honor from their wives and families. God opposes the proud. And God will oppose you in your life and your marriage if you choose to disregard this marriage handbook. If, and you may even find that you never belong to God in the first place if you aren't willing to submit to him in the arena of marriage. Why? Because marriage was created by God for God. But there's good news, friends. God opposes the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace for anyone listening today. Anyone, man, woman, child, anyone. If, if you have not turned away from your sin and turned to Christ, there's good news for you today. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. All have sinned, every single person. Everyone has gone their own way. Every husband, every wife. We all deserve the just penalty of our sin. But God, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to die for us on our behalf for the penalty of our sin. The wrath of God was satisfied in the death of Jesus. The godly for the ungodly, the righteous for the unrighteous. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. God gives grace to those who would acknowledge their sinfulness and turn to Christ for their forgiveness and righteousness. So in conclusion, husbands, submit your marriages to God and you will have his full and complete blessing. This takes humility. This takes courage. This takes prayer for help. Husbands, be holy as your father is holy. Husbands, be holy as your father is holy. You shall be holy as your father is holy. Submit yourself to him. Live in humility. For your wife's sake, for your sake, for your children's sake, for the sake of the nations, and for the Lord's sake, submit to him. Men desiring marriage, start the process of learning to be married now in a God-honoring way. Become a humble man of God and submit to him in every area of your life. Learn how to honor and respect the women around you. Wives, this is the standard the word holds out to your husbands, nothing less. Will there be bumps along the way? Yes, of course. Pray for your husband. Point him to the gospel, not to just be a better husband. Point him to the gospel. My hope today is that this helps you understand where a good husband comes from. 
one who is daily living in abiding with Jesus. That's where he comes from. As his helper, strive to help your husband stay in and near the word. Women that desire marriage. I hope you can listen today and know what to look for in a husband. Since in our culture you get so much of a decision to say on who you will marry, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Do not look for a man who is knowledgeable about everything else. Look for a man who is knowledgeable about God and has submitted every ounce of his person under God's leadership. Young women and young men become this kind of person, a wise person. Young ladies, do not settle for a man who is not humbled before the Lord in his amazing gospel. Let others help you to see if this man is submitted to the Lord or not. Today, we've seen that humble husbands submit to God's plan for marriage. Humble husbands know their wives and humble husbands honor their wives. And praise the Lord, we are recipients of this from Jesus. The church, the bride of Christ, being led by the one that knows God's full and perfect and complete plan and lived according to that, submitted himself to it. He knew us and he sacrificed for us. He loved us. May the Lord strengthen the marriages of CBC by our deepening understanding of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, I pray that you would give grace in this room. Lord, give me grace. Lord, keep us near you. Father, we need your help. I pray that you would give the men uh, wisdom and knowledge how to apply these verses right now. None of us are a perfect husband, so we all have places to grow. None of us have arrived, and so we all need to learn sacrifice and learn honor. Lord, help us to be gentle, loving, caring, leaders full of conviction toward glory, with our eyes and hearts set on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray that you'd give the the women of our church much much grace with us. Lord, for, for many of our people that have been through difficult relationships where people did not live according to your word, and there is real hurt and real harm, real brokenness. Lord, I pray that you would bind them up, that you would care for them, Lord, that you would give them what they need. And Lord, that we as a church would, would come around and, and honor and protect the vulnerable in our, in our spheres, Lord. We need your help. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.